0: everyone! Good evening! When I say that in my mind, I hear Alfred Hitchcock. Anyone else? Good evening. Never mind. Merry Christmas, or Merry Christmas Eve, to be specific, to each and every one of you that has joined us here in the Worship Center and also online on livestream. Thank you for spending your Christmas Eve with us as we celebrate the King who came in the form of a baby, lived a perfect life among us, died a sacrificial death for us, and then victoriously rose from the dead. If we have not met yet, my name is Tim Riley. I am one of the pastors here at Church of the Valley, and I am honored to be a part of a community that strives to help those who attend here to grow in their knowledge of God's only son, Jesus, and to recognize and understand grace more each day. Tonight, I'd like to take just a few moments of our time, and for me, this is just a few moments of our time, and direct us to God's Word. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. There will be verses on the screen, however you'd like to do it, or maybe you brought your own Bible. That is great as well. And I want us to be in God's Word because we believe that the Bible are the very words of God, written and recorded so that we, people, even in 2022, soon to be 2023, could know God personally and love him who first loved us in a way that he prefers for us to love him back. We've been studying on Sunday mornings a series called Unexpected Gift, where we have shown from these very scriptures how so many people during and after and even before Jesus's earthly ministry misunderstood the gift that God was giving to the world in his son. Now Just real quick, so you know a few things about me, I did not grow up attending church at all. Like, this is more of a joke for me to wear a suit on Christmas Eve. It's not normal for me. Tomorrow morning when we have a Christmas service at 9.30, I'm gonna be in pajamas and a Niners jersey, okay? So this, yeah, so this is weird. But my parents divorced when I was 11 months old, and my parents were not religious. They didn't attend churches. And like for many of us, I would only step into the church, when we think of the church as a building, I would only step into a church building on special occasions. Here's a few. Baptisms of people I knew, weddings, funerals, Easter, one time, one time, and Christmas Eve. And based on when I would attend the church services where whatever I was coming for, I would generally hear a very similar story and very similar sentiments. Here's what they were. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. God offers that forgiveness in Jesus Christ because he loves the world and he loves me. And he proved that by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. Sound familiar, anyone else ever heard this? Yeah, absolutely. And that is the general message of Christianity, but it's missing some stuff, but you guys get the gist. And often I would hear a specific verse, and let's see, let's survey, what's the most popular verse in the Bible? Psalm 16, what? No. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, or if you're King James, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now this is a well-known verse. Most of us have heard it. Most of us have seen the guy with the rainbow afro who had the sign that said John 3.16 at baseball games. Or maybe that's just my generation. But The reality is, when we think about this verse, this thing that is said, do we know who says it? Do we know where it was said? Do we know the context in which it was written? Well, if you're like most of us, even those of us who attend church weekly, you might not know. And so I'm going to ask you to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to begin in the beginning of John chapter 3, and the verses will be on the screen. Here's how it starts. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, a Pharisee is a member of the ruling council, but they weren't just governmental, they were religious. They had been students under rabbis, and they had been taught the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament. And they excelled in those first five books of memorizing them. They were very pious. They were very religious in their lifestyle. But this Pharisee, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, as John points out, to not be seen by anyone. So from here on out, we're going to call him Nick at night. Nick at night came to Jesus to inquire who Jesus really was because he understood that the miracles that he had heard about and possibly even seen with his own eyes were not things that just any ordinary man could do. But Nick at night also probably was yet to understand the full picture of who he was really talking to. Now I think for most of us, we know Jesus is a big deal, right? Like we, we've heard his name, some of us have yelled out his name when we have stubbed our toes, right? Like we know that Jesus is somewhat of a big deal. I know that for a lot of us, we go, well, Jesus's birth gets us out of school, whoop, whoop. or gets us out of work sometimes. Amen. Talk back to the preacher. And people are usually noticing that he's talked about a lot. Sometimes they're offended when his name is used because it's used either in vain, or sometimes when people even just acknowledge Jesus's existence, people get offended. Church buildings seem to be everywhere in most cities. Jesus, as far as the brand seems to be pretty well known. In fact, that is why John Lennon, who is John Lennon? Beatle, you guys know, once said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Because he knew in the 60s that Jesus was known all over the world, and to attempt to exalt themselves, he compared themselves to Jesus. Now, that's a global view, but Jesus Christ is not a brand, nor is he a swear word. Jesus is God with skin. And I think Nicodemus was alluding to it, but was yet to realize that Jesus wasn't just connected to God, Jesus is God. But look at how Jesus responds to Nicodemus' inquiry. He tends to get right to the point, and the reality is that when people throughout the gospel accounts, or the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they would speak to Jesus, they tended to speak to him about earthly things. And Jesus always seemed to want to get right to the point, at least the way it was written down which was the spiritual. Because Jesus came to make the spiritual obvious for those of us who want to know what the spiritual is all about. So here's how he replied, John chapter three, verse three. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Uh, Jesus, I just wanna know how you and God are so close and you're talking about seeing the kingdom of God and being born again? And yet, here's the crazy thing about Jesus' response. Jesus is actually answering Nicodemus' question. Jesus knew what Nick and Knight was getting at, and Nick wanted to know what Jesus knew about God, and Jesus said, the answer to what you truly, really want to know is to be able to see the kingdom of God, to be able to understand the spiritual realm, and that requires you to be born again. Now, Nicodemus then asked what I think any of us who would be confused by the physical would then ask Jesus. Here's what he says. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Gross. But seriously, this is a fair question. And exactly what you would ask if you're only thinking in the physical. If you're old, how can you Benjamin Button and reverse age? How can you be born again physically? And that is where Nicodemus tips his hand and speaks about this from the physical, and Jesus will continue to point him to the spiritual. Here's what he says, verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, there are different interpretations about what Jesus was getting at, but but we'll just go the conservative route, which is to say that Jesus was pointing out both the physical birth, which we all have done. Raise your hand if you've been born. Well done. Some of you are confused. And he was speaking about the physical birth, and he was also speaking about the spiritual birth, which many of us have not had. That is why he says you must be born again. Which is to say, a second birth, a spiritual birth, a birth that is just as important as your physical birth in the spiritual realm, but most of us are not aware or don't care or don't share in this belief. But to be born again means that you have had God intervene in your life, and you believe him. You don't just acknowledge him. You don't just believe stuff about him. You believe him at his word when he says things like this. Later on in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, it's not to just acknowledge this, but to live according to this making a difference to you. See, it's belief that dictates our behavior, and we call that faith. To have faith in Jesus means that you believe that this life is not all that you get. This life, while important, while a place where we can meet and begin to follow Jesus leads to a next life with Jesus, and that is something that we ought not take lightly or disregard until the end of our lives. But when we have put our faith in Jesus, our life is now not our own anymore, but it is shared with Jesus, who walks and leads and guides us, not to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and better, but as he is saying to Nicodemus, To be born again spiritually means that that is when true life begins. See, this is a point I'm going to make consistently, especially if you come back, you're going to hear this a few times. Faith is not doing for Christ. Faith is looking to Christ and realizing that he's what you need. In John, at the very beginning of this letter that this guy named John is writing, he says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the word, and he's kind of a big deal. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then he writes another letter. The same John writes another letter, and it's called 1 John, and he says it this way. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Get a life, is what he's saying. While Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he lived a life, one of religion, one of a moral code. He was lacking a spiritual life that is given to us by the Spirit of God. And when we come to him, not bringing anything to the table or acting as if God is lucky to have us, But by bowing a knee and coming to Jesus with a heart that wants to be changed by him and for him and through him, we are willing then to allow God to overrule us. Jesus goes on while speaking to Nicodemus about the spirit of God, and he uses kind of a weird analogy. Here's what he says. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And then they start to talk. How can this be? Nicodemus asked, verse 9. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Spoiler, he's talking about himself. Now see, the wind and the Spirit go where it pleases. But I think the point that Jesus is making is that the Spirit is one that you receive when you've been born of God. And it is not by rhyme or reason that one becomes a Christian. I think many in this life want to quantify the spiritual realm and do away with the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of how one even becomes a Christian. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna testify, I'm gonna be really honest right now. Before I became a Christian, I always thought Christians, which I am one now, obviously, because I don't think the church would let me preach or pastor, <laughs> yep. I always thought that Christians were people who grew up in the church, were unintelligent, legalistic, Didn't like to have fun, were susceptible to joining cults because they were easily swayed, and this was my stereotype of every Christian. And as I was growing up, I then met a Christian family that wasn't perfect by any means, but they took me into their home where I lived with them for quite a while. But man, did they really seem to believe in this Jesus guy? Not just because they went to church— Not just because they served in that church, and not just because, gasp, they gave money to that church, but because I watched them go through some pretty devastating things within their household, and it didn't shake their faith in Jesus. In fact, I'd go as far to say that it strengthened their faith in Jesus and deepened it. Because as I said last Sunday, faith has roots. And the father in this family, he was an engineer, He was intellectual and nerdy and brilliant. And he knew a lot more about pretty much everything except for sports than I did. But it wasn't the answers that he had when I questioned his and his family's faith. It was the way that he lived his faith out in front of me day in and day out that God used to not only get my attention, but over quite a while humbled me to the point of realizing my need. For many, they think Christianity is just a crutch. They think people are dealing with addictions and issues and a little bit of religion is what people buy into in order to be a crutch for their life. Listen, Christianity is a crutch. The only difference between someone who believes and someone who doesn't though is the believer sees spiritually that they're broken and they need a crutch. They need a doctor. They need the Lord God Almighty to save them from their addiction, which is sin. And yet, I have been a Christian now going on um, over 21 years. That's right. My Christianity now can legally drink in California. In fact, if you come back on a Sunday morning, you'll probably hear more and more about how I admit and confess some of the sin that I do. Because I'm not perfect, but God is perfecting me. And he's allowed me to be in relationship with him. God, because of his son Jesus, does not hold that sin that I have done against me. He already held it against Jesus. And Jesus took the wrath for my sin, which was afforded by the cross, and he died in my place. And here is the part that I want each and every single one of us to remember this Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2022. Jesus, my God, my Savior, my Lord, my crutch, my doctor, my hero. He didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the grave. You all are like, wait, I didn't know I was going to Easter. This is the message every day. He rose from the dead and he defeated the one thing that none of us, can escape in our physical lives, which is death. But he died and rose again physically so that you and I could be born again spiritually. Jesus, the Son of Man, who had come from heaven, was speaking from the spiritual realm so this Nick at night could understand that all of the religion that he's ever done would never, ever, ever be enough. But if he trusted Jesus, he'd be born again by the Spirit of God. So then... Jesus points to a story that Nicodemus, a very religious and astute Pharisee, would be very familiar with. In the Old Testament, there is a book known as the Book of Numbers. It's kind of boring sometimes. And in chapter 21, the Israelites, who God had led into the desert with Moses at the helm leading them, had wandered for many years and pretty much gone in circles. And they were whining and complaining about God's provision and had become impatient. I'm so glad that doesn't happen to us. And they had begun to be bitten by venomous snakes. So God provided a cure. But it wasn't a medicine. It was in a symbol that would foreshadow what Jesus would do for you and I, who are impatient and whine and complain about God's provision. Here's what it says in Numbers 21. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone who was bitten by a snake looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus right before the most popular verse in all of the Bible. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Amen. He just amened himself. That's awesome. This symbol on the bronze snake being lifted up in the desert, was a precursor of the king and kings who would be lifted up in the desert of Calvary on a cross for the sins of mankind, and for any of us who would look to him, we, as Jesus said, would live. We'd inherit eternal life. Life that is eternal means that when this physical life ends and it will. Our spiritual life extends to an eternity with God in relationship which has begun in this life. John 17, 3, Jesus is speaking of eternal life to some men who are following him, and he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So friends and family, I thank you for being here. We're about to sing more songs and praise the Lord, and sing these songs that maybe some of us know, and maybe some of us don't. But I implore you, this Christmas season, be reconciled to God through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ as our sole means of being made right with God. Not your effort, not your goodness, not your potential, but by looking to the one who is lifted up in Jesus Christ. Which by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, we can then have eternal life and be adopted into God's family this wonderful season. This passage in John, with this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, is where we get this incredibly well-known verse. I'm going to read it one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But I don't want you to miss the next verse which people tend to forget. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, let's be real. We're a messed up bunch. We're not perfect. We're in need of grace from our friends, from our family, and from our God. And God offers that in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus had done all the things that he thought he was supposed to do. He was so religious he always said, Lord God Almighty, amen, at the end of his prayers, and even found pride in the religion that he did, plus notoriety and acceptance by other religious people. But he, like all of us, knew that there was something about Jesus that he didn't understand. And for those of us today that perhaps walk through this door to appease a friend or a family member, you can raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just, Don't. I just want to direct your attention to Jesus who died in our place, who rose from the dead, who ascended to heaven. And one day we believe when we least expect it will return in all his glory. So friends and family, this Christmas season, may you believe by faith that Jesus is God And by believing, may you trust him as your God, your Lord, your Savior, and your King. Worship team, I'm going to invite you back up. And I'm just going to pray for us real fast. And if prayer is something you're not used to or something you rarely do, that's okay. I'm just going to ask you, if you are able, to just close your eyes. And I'm just going to talk to God on our behalf, and then we will sing a few songs We will electronically light a candle, and we will eat some cookies in the fellowship hall. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your word. I thank you for each person that's here, either in person or online. And God, I just pray that as we read a story about you, Jesus, talking with Nicodemus, that if any of that strikes us as something we want to know more about, that God, we would look for answers in you through your word, through people in this church. And God, that you would stir something in us as 2023 is coming to be reminded of how beautiful and amazing it is to walk with our God. So Lord, thank you for this evening and thank you for what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.